You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So when I was uh, growing up, I went to school with a kid named Jesus. True story. I was in the fourth grade uh, in Mrs. Kennedy's class. I had a a classmate named Jesus, and uh, never mind the fact that he pronounced it a little differently. Uh, He spelled it. J-E-S-U-S, and when I was in the fourth grade, I thought that was weird, okay? And I thought it was weird for all the obvious reasons. I thought that only Jesus could have the name Jesus because he's Jesus, right? How in the world could this kid in my class, like how could this normal kid call himself Jesus? Well, the answer is because the name Jesus is a normal name that countless normal kids have had for most of human history. This is something that I think we tend to forget so many years removed from the Gospel of Matthew, which is why this morning I want us to think about this together. This morning here, looking at Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, for this second Advent sermon, We're going to focus on the name of Jesus and what it means. And there are just three simple things I want to show you. Number one is that the name of Jesus is personal. Number two is that the meaning of his name was on purpose. And then number three is that the fulfillment of the meaning was promised. So personal on purpose, purposeful, and then over here is promise, okay? The P's are just too easy. Couldn't resist it. Let's pray, and then we're going to get started. Father in heaven, thank you again for this moment, and thank you for the spirit of your Son, whom you have poured into our hearts. We ask by his power, please show us the glory of your Son today. Show us the glory of Jesus. We ask this in his name, amen. So first we're looking at the name of Jesus is personal. Personal, purposeful, promise. First, that his name is personal. Of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are two birth narratives of Jesus, one in Matthew and one in Luke. And in Luke's gospel, if you were to read that, you'll see that the perspective there is from Mary. But here in Matthew's gospel, the perspective is from Joseph. And really the focus here in Matthew is on the instructions that the angel gave to Joseph. The angel tells Joseph basically to do two things. First, he is to take Mary as his wife. Joseph should not be worried about her pregnancy because she has miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so the angel says, marry that girl. That's the first thing. The second thing is that Joseph is to name the son that Mary will bear, Jesus. And we see this plain as day in verse 21. Look at verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And now before we get into the meaning of that name, which we're going to do, that's the, the second point. The first thing I want us to do is just to slow down and ponder the fact that Jesus has a name. Jesus has a given name. He has a first name. 
He has what some, some people call a Christian name. You guys ever heard that before? Talk that way. We don't typically talk that way in America, but in the UK, as like a carryover from the Middle Ages, someone's first name is often called their Christian name. And just so you know, I, I, I have not always known this, okay? Several years ago, I had um, the great honor of spending some time um, with the, uh, the, the great British theologian J.I. Packer. He uh, lived in Vancouver, recently passed away, but he lived in Vancouver and uh, is a great theologian, modern day Puritan, just a, a hero for me. And I had the chance to spend some time with him. And when we first met, the first thing he said to me was he asked me my Christian name. And I had no clue what he was talking about. <laughs> like it sounded awesome, you know? But I didn't know, I just guessed and I told him my first name, which luckily was right, okay? I, 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 your first name is your Christian name, okay? And so, you, you know, Jesus' Christian name, if, if, we, if we could say that, was Jesus. It was his first name. Jesus was his first name, just like you have a first name. And the name Jesus was a common name at that time. Now, it was a special name. We're going to talk about that. But it also was not a special name in that a lot of Jewish boys were named Jesus at this time. The name Jesus back then would have been about as common as the name Mike is for us. Okay? No offense, Mike. Or Mike. Or Mike. Or Mike. Or Mike. Mike's. Jesus was a common name. We, 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 we don't always get that. In fact, we see in the New Testament that there were other men named Jesus. One, one place we see in the, in, at the end of Colossians, Colossians chapter 4, Paul mentions that one of his fellow missionaries was a man named Jesus who is called Justice. So this was a guy whose given name was Jesus but he started going by the name Justice, which made sense for him as a missionary, right? Just Im imagine for a minute, if you were a missionary and you were going into a city to spread the good news of someone who had the same name as you. I'm here to tell you about the good news of Mike. Well, what's your name? Mike. He, had, he didn't work for him, right? He, had a, he changed it. He started going by the name Justice. We, we have to understand that the name Jesus was that common of a name back then. And by human measures, it was not an impressive name. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 2, Isaiah tells us that Jesus had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And I think we could add, he had no name that would cause us to turn our heads. There were three other kids in Jesus' fourth grade class who had the name Jesus. But I, I want you to see that that's actually part of the glory. The first name of Jesus being Jesus was common But it was his name. It was his personal name that points to his humanity. 
Jesus' personal name points to his realness. Do you see how this works? The fact that Jesus had a name is because Jesus was a real man, and first, he was a real boy. He had skin and bones and hair and eyes and fingernails and teeth. And when Jesus was six years old and he lost his front two teeth, he lost Jesus' teeth. Our six-year-old Noah has recently lost his front two teeth. And while we were having dinner a few nights ago, I asked Noah to give everybody a big smile, which he did. And there's nothing there, right? Which is just the best. And I asked the other kids to look at Noah and to look at his smile and to imagine that once in history, Jesus had a smile that looked just like that. He did. There was a time when Jesus lost Jesus' teeth. Not an angel's teeth. Not a spirit's teeth. Not a demigod's teeth. They were Jesus' teeth. They were the teeth of a real boy named Jesus who was and is God become a real man with a name. This is more stunning than we can recognize. It's more stunning than we can wrap our heads around. Jesus would have been, just fill the room for a minute, Jesus would have been like anybody else in this room. One of the subtle things that we do and we've done here for several years at City's Church, it's subtle but it's intentional, is that we refer to Jesus as Jesus as often as we can. Now we, of course, use the titles Lord and Christ as the New Testament often does. It is good and right to use those titles. But also, we mean to say Jesus a lot. And that's because the name Jesus, I think more so than his titles, reminds us of his realness. Jesus is the personal name of a real person. And I, went, I once read a novelist who I thought captured the power of this so well. He, he was writing about the experience of someone driving through a city and just seeing signs everywhere, okay? And we, this happens to us all the time, right? We see signs everywhere. Just on the way here this morning, I was, I, was, I was pointing out a few of the signs. The first sign that we see on Snelling Avenue, there's this, this, this basically... I guess it's, uh, uh, I don't know, telling us we all should be vegan signs. You may have seen this. It's got like the big turkey face on it. And it's like, see the individual, you know. Um, there's that sign. Um, uh, there's another sign. You've, there's a couple of them on Snelling. Um, and, uh, and then there's, if, if you keep driving on Snelling, I think there's another sign that has, it's basically, you know, reminding you to make sure your house is properly heated now that it's getting cold. There's another sign about uh, Cub grocery stores. Um, we're now offering free pickup and delivery. So catching up with the others. And um, I like Cub. I like Cub grocery stores. Um, but we, we see signs everywhere. We see signs all the time. And every now and then, I, I know you've seen this before. 
every now and then, we'll see, the, see a sign and we'll see the words, Jesus saves. You guys know what I'm talking about? You've seen this before? Maybe, maybe at a sporting event, someone was holding a sign. Or, or maybe you've been stopped at a red light under a bridge and you have some time and you look over and you see on the concrete wall, spray painted, real tacky-like, Jesus saves. We, we've all seen those words somewhere before. Listen to this description of the experience of seeing those words. Quote, there is something in the name Jesus itself that embarrasses us when, we, when it stands naked and alone like that. Just Jesus with no title to soften the blow. It seems to me that the words Christ saves would not bother us half so much because they have a kind of objective theological ring to them. Whereas Jesus saves seems cringingly, painfully personal. Somebody named Jesus of all names, saving somebody named whatever your name happens to be. His name is Jesus. Jesus is his name and still is his name. We're going to talk about this in a few weeks, but don't think that after the resurrection and after the ascension that Jesus dropped his first name and now he only goes by titles. No, that's, that's not how it goes. Because Jesus is still a man in glorified human flesh, because Jesus is the God-man, Jesus still goes by the name Jesus. Call him by his name. Call him by his name. And when you address him, when you pray and you address him by his name, try to imagine as best as you can that you are speaking to a human who is more alive than you are. He's still got hair. He's still got skin. He still has teeth. He's got adult teeth now. Whatever that means in a glorified body, I don't know. Whatever that means in a glorified body, that is what Jesus has. His name is Jesus. That is his personal name, and we can call him that. We get to call him that. It's his personal name. And so if you know him personally, I encourage you to use it. <laughs> the name of Jesus is personal. That's the first thing, okay? The second thing is that uh, the meaning of his name was on purpose. Now, the name Jesus was not only a common name, it was a significant name. And the name was given to Jesus on purpose. God didn't just draw the name out of a hat, right? We understand that. But instead, God gave Jesus the particular name Jesus because of what the name meant. And we can see this in verse 21 in what the angel says. Look at verse 21 again. You shall call his name Jesus for or because he will save his people from their sins. You see that? First, let me just give you a little bit of background on the, the word Jesus, the name Jesus here. Jesus is an English word, right? Jesus is an English word that is translated from the Greek word Jesus. And the Greek word Jesus is from the Hebrew word Yeshua. And Yeshua in Hebrew gets translated into English as what? Anybody know? 
Joshua, right, Joshua, right. So the, the Greek English, Jesus, Jesus, comes from the Hebrew Yeshua. And well, the Hebrew name Yeshua has two parts, two parts to the name. The first part is Yah, and Yah is short for Yahweh, God. And then the second part, Hosea, means salvation, means to save. And so if you put those two words together, Yeshua, Yeshua means literally Yahweh saves. Which means the the angel then is telling Joseph, you shall call his name Yahweh saves. Because that's what he will do. And I think implicit in the name Jesus is not just that he's going to save, but it's that he is Yahweh become man who will save as Yahweh. And we're going to see that in verse 23, okay? But, but just look at verse 21 again. This is just verse 21. The angel says, call his name Jesus, for he will save his people, his people from their sins. None of the other kids in Jesus' fourth grade class had a people, right? But Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the son of Joseph, he did. He had a people, he has a people. And so in the most literal way possible, Jesus lived up to his name. His name means that he saves, and he does. Jesus saves. And it always strikes me a little bit funny when this time of year, you begin to see our society again, once again, try to respect Jesus as a historical figure but deny the fact that he's a savior. We see this all the time. You know what I'm talking about? We see this all the time, uh, this time of year. Just earlier, uh, last week, uh, Mike Schumann had the latest Time Magazine article that's all about who Jesus is, has a big picture of Jesus' face on the front. Uh, You can see this stuff on the History Channel. You guys know what I mean? It's the whole like search for Jesus, who is Jesus. You see this stuff everywhere, especially this time of year. And whatever it is, wherever it's coming from, it all tends to respect Jesus as a moral leader, right? By and large, our society tends to see Jesus as a good person. And the reason I think our society does this is actually connected to a larger cultural issue that has to do with standards, okay? This is a tangent. I need about four minutes here, okay? So bear with me, all right? Whether we admit it or not, our society really cares about standards. Our society believes that there is a way to live and there are rules that govern that way. See, for those who reject the moral vision of God, they don't live without a moral vision, they just have to adopt another one, which is the spirit of the age. And the pressure for us all, the pressure on all of us to adopt that vision is all around us. In fact, I think you could argue because of social media, this pressure is more prevalent now than ever. 
whether it's something like a whole new vocabulary that you're supposed to use, or certain signs that you need to have in your front yard, or invisible layers of social dynamics of which you must be aware, there are rules everywhere in our society that we are expected to conform to. And if you don't, there's no room for other views. There's no exchange of ideas. And there's absolutely no forgiveness. You just get canceled. You're done. Our society tyrannically imposes standards on one another. We the people impose standards on one another and the result of this is pride and anxiety. And of course it is because when the so-called guardians of this social order say that you measure up, then you feel on top of the world. And now you also get to start judging everybody else. But until you get that approval, until you are deputized to judge others, you will wear yourself out trying to be enough, trying to conform, trying to be in. We get this. You know what I'm talking about. You know how this works. Culturally, we care about standards. And somehow, Jesus always gets brought in to be a positive example. Whatever the issue is, Jesus is seen as this moral leader. He, he's, he's so loved by our society as a moral leader. And the way that, that they configure him, he somehow agrees with whatever their activism is about. And he only opposes the person who disagrees with you. Right? It is amazing to me that so many people in our society think that Jesus is okay with 21st century American sexual ethics. I mean, it's insane, right? It's insane. And it's also insane that some think Jesus defends cruelty. It's insane. Here's the thing. When Jesus came, he condemned every standard of every spirit of every age. Because when he came, he came as the standard for humans sent from God. And one message of Jesus' life and death is that none of us are enough. None of us. We all fall short. Nobody measures up. Nobody gets affirmed. Which is why he came to save, right? Do you see? This is why he came to save. He is a savior. We don't need to be approved in our sin. We need to be saved from our sin. And that's why he came. Until we understand this, we will never understand Jesus. Jesus indeed is our true standard. And we are to conform to him. 
we're being conformed to him. We should conform to him. But first and foremost, we have to understand that Jesus is our Savior. And, and you, you, you cannot ignore that because that's what his name means. That's why he came. His purpose is to save. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Jesus understood this better than anybody. There's a moment later in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was having lunch. He was sitting around a table. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners came. Right? This is the, the worst of the worst in that day. The tax collectors and sinners came, and they were hanging out with Jesus. They were sitting with Jesus. They, 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 had the, they were with Jesus and with his disciples. And the Pharisees, who were the, the self-righteous religious leaders of the day, when they saw Jesus with these sinners, they, they did not understand it. And, and they said, how can Jesus, this is what they said, how can Jesus, this moral leader, how can Jesus spend time with these sinners? And this is what Jesus said to them. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Then he said, I came not to call the righteous, but who? Sinners. He came for sinners. Jesus came for sinners. Later on, Jesus will say that he has come to seek and to save the lost. Look, I don't know exactly how you perceive of yourself this morning. I don't know exactly. But the Bible tells us that we all are sick. We all are sinners. We all are lost. And that's why Jesus came. That's why he came. I want you to hear this. Jesus came here to save you. To save you. This is why Christmas exists. He came here to save us from our sins. That was his purpose. That is what his name means. Okay. Now here's the third thing. We, we know the, the meaning of his name is that he saves. Personal name, this purpose name, the meaning of it is that he saves. The third thing is that the fulfillment of that meaning was promised. And we saw this a couple weeks ago. Pastor Kenny took us back to the book of Genesis chapter 3. And he showed us there the, the very first promise about Jesus in Genesis 3 verse 15. The first promise that Jesus would come. And really from that point, from Genesis 3.15 onward, the whole rest of the Old Testament is really that same promise repeated and developed. And in the Old Testament book of Isaiah especially, we see this promise over and over again. One such place is Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, which goes like this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And of course, if you look here at Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, Matthew quotes that verse from Isaiah, and he says that Jesus being named Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins, Jesus being named Jesus is actually part of the fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesied. 
Okay, so track with me here. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Mary is the virgin Mary, like Isaiah said. Mary did conceive, and she did bear a son, also like Isaiah said. But look, they named him Jesus, whereas Isaiah said they would name him Emmanuel. You ever wondered about that? You see the question there? How can Matthew say that the son being named Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah saying that the son will be named Emmanuel? That's the question. Well, I think the clue is in the little parentheses at the end of verse 23. Okay? If you can't look here at verse 23. Notice that after Matthew says Emmanuel, he explains what that name means. This is not in Isaiah 7. Uh, he, this, is, this is him, he's adding this, okay? Matthew's adding this. Look at, the, look at this, verse 23. Emmanuel, see that? Parentheses, which means God with us. So let's step back for a minute and see what's going on here. There are two names for Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. It's Jesus in verse 21, and it's Emmanuel in verse 23. And both names, when they're mentioned, they're followed by a short explanation. Look at verse 21. In verse 21, it's Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 23, it's Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here's the thing. I think implicit in the name Jesus, Yahweh saves is that Jesus is God saving his people. Matthew says that. And also, implicit in the name Emmanuel, God with us, is that Jesus is God with us to save us. See, the presence of God in the Bible is always God's saving presence. And we saw this, just recently saw this in the book of Exodus. Remember back in Exodus chapter 33 when Moses begs God for his continued presence? Moses says, God, if your presence, if your presence does not come with us, I don't want to go. Moses does not want to move forward without the presence of God. And the reason Moses says that is not just for God's company. It's because Moses knew what God could do. He saw the plagues of Egypt. He saw the Red Sea split in two. He saw the bread from heaven. He saw water come from the rock. Moses knew that God could make a way when there was no way. Moses knew that Yahweh saves. That is why Moses wanted God's presence. For God to be with us means that he is with us to save us. And so implicit in the name Jesus is that he is God. And implicit in the name Emmanuel is that he is our Savior. And so I think Matthew here in his gospel, he understands that the name Jesus and the name Emmanuel are saying the same thing. As was promised, Jesus is God come to save us as God with us. God like us, God fully human. 
God with hair and skin and eyes and teeth. And God with a first name, just like you've got a first name. His name is Jesus. And when I was in the fourth grade, I had a classmate who went by that same name. And it baffled me back then, I'll be honest. But what's truly baffling is not that a normal kid could call himself Jesus, but it's that Jesus could become like a normal kid. See, just a normal kid, just a normal kid who grew in wisdom and stature, and who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Whatever it is that you have going on in your life right now, whatever that is, whatever that bubble is over your head, like Mike was talking about, Jesus gets it. He gets it. He understands My favorite Christmas song, we all have our favorite, right? My favorite is Oh Holy Night. And I listen to every rendition that I can. And the reason I like this song is because of really just two sentences. And in a lot of renditions I found, they take it out. Um, and and I, I'm going to, you've probably heard them before. These are the two sentences. This is why I love the song. It goes like this. The King of Kings lay thus in lowly manger. And it's quick. We don't have time to slow down. But you gotta, you got to see the, the juxtaposition here. The king of kings, right? The, the greatest king of all. Imagine every king in human history, and Jesus is the king of all those kings. The king of kings is laying in a dirty feeding trough. The king of kings is laying in a manger. That's the image in the song. And then it continues. This is, this is we, you have to understand that the gospel is not from man. Man never writes it this way, see. Listen to this. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger. In all our trials, born to be our friend. He knows our need. Our weakness is no stranger. The needs and the weaknesses of your life that you feel, that you carry, the things about yourself that you dislike the most, are things that Jesus knows completely and he loves you. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter five that God demonstrates his love for us in that Jesus died on the cross in our place. He died for sinners. At the cross, Jesus took upon himself our sin 
and guilt and shame and the wrath that we deserve. And Jesus did that to save us because he is Jesus our Savior. That's what his name means. And this morning, you can ask him to save you. Anybody can ask him to save you. You've heard about Jesus before. You've probably heard about Jesus plenty of times. But maybe you've never actually trusted him to be the Savior that he is. And if that's the case, this morning I'm inviting you to do that. This morning, in this moment, I'm inviting you to put your faith in Jesus as your Savior. And for all who do, for all who do trust him, we come now to this table to give him thanks. Here at, at this table, the bread and the cup represent the body and blood of Jesus. And when we take and eat the bread and when we drink the cup, we are remembering in that moment that we are united to Jesus by faith. We remember that Jesus indeed is our Savior and we look forward to the day when we will have this meal with Jesus face to face. And so this morning, if Jesus has saved you, if Jesus is your hope, receive him now with thankful hearts. The bread, the body of Jesus is the true bread. The blood of Jesus is the true drink. Let us serve you.